0: Good morning, church. You guys awake yet? Good morning, church. All right, good. Venue, cactus, welcome. I uh, really appreciate you all praying for me and my father last Sunday. As some, most of you know, my dad had uh, open heart surgery last week, which is why I was gone uh, from being here, and I was with uh, he and my mom at uh, University Hospital in Cleveland last week. And, you know, if I was giving you an update uh, as of last night, how he was doing, I'd say, uh, so far, so good. But they did have to admit him back to the hospital last night because of just some fluid around his heart and lungs, and we don't know completely what that's about. Uh, but you can so just continue to pray for him, and I'll uh, keep you posted on, on all of that. He, I mean, he's done so well in response to this. He's 79, and 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 you know went in fairly strong. And it was really funny last Sunday. Uh, about three days out of surgery, I was with him while you guys were worshiping here in his hospital room, and I said, is there anything you need, Pop? And he said, yeah, I, I need a New York Times, Sunday New York Times. And I thought, well, that's going to pollute your mind, but okay, I'll go get that. And so I went down to Starbucks, and I got him a New York Times, and I came up, and I was reading it like we all do on the way back up. And, you know, one of the lead articles was on the gun control issue. And so I, I handed it to him, and I said, you know, one of the lead articles on gun control, and I I made some comment on gun control that I knew would set him off. And… <laughs> And Ebuck came out of his hospital bed and he's getting all angry and upset. And mom walked in and I said, Dad's doing just fine. <laughs> and I had to leave the room because he wanted me gone, which means he's really doing fine. And so. And then my mom and I, it was really funny, because then after that, my mom and I were in this waiting room, and she's so tired, and so she's 87 pounds and so small, and she falls asleep in this big chair, you know, and so I thought I'd dial in to hear Schrader. And so I'm, I'm, you know, listening to the worship in this service, second service, and uh, all of a sudden my mom, without even opening her eyes, is, you know, is hearing the music, and she goes, that's not church music. See, my parents go to this very conservative Presbyterian church, and I was like, oh, Mom, that's sedate. You don't even know the half of it. And so, so it was a good time to be with them. And, uh, you know, Schrader did a fantastic job, didn't he, of uh, being with us? Yeah. Boy and he had here as you guys might remember he had the uh, the original rider cup which he can't take any credit for that was brought by a group of pastors from wales that i'll be talking about later but he had the original rider cup and he you know he tried to use it as an illustration on legacy which i thought was really weak and so so i brought today a super bowl trophy a real one yep from, now you will probably boo at this, from the Dallas Cowboys uh, when they won the Super – I'm sorry – when they won the – yeah, some of you are going, yay, when they won the Super Bowl. And uh, this is one of our members who uh, was in three Super Bowls of the Dallas Cowboys and, and, and won and got this trophy here. So it's a real Super Bowl trophy. And you see Schrader's talking legacy. I'm talking victory. Amen? <laughs> victory. All right. Good. No, Tom is great. We had a coffee on Friday, and I thanked him profusely for, for filling in, and I'm, I'm so glad that you guys love him as much as I do. He is just one of the, I think, one of the most phenomenal pastors that I've ever met. Uh, he's, a, he's not just a friend but a mentor of me, and uh, so it was really good to have him address you. And I dialed in and heard it live and was really ministered to as well. And so today we are wrapping up our series on on vision series on here and now. That's what we've called this. And and next week, we just come out of the chute with our Compelled by Grace series that will lead us into early March. Then we're going to get through Holy Week, and then we're going to begin the book of Galatians for the rest of the year. But this is a really important Sunday today leading into next week as we kind of turn the corner now into saying, okay, here's our vision. Now, how are we all going to see this vision come to reality? That's what we're going to talk about starting next week. And so as we wrap up the vision part today, why don't you all do me a favor and bow with me and let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, I I do thank you for a praying church. I thank you that this church prayed and will continue to pray for my mom and for my dad. And Lord, we do pray that you'd be with them even in the hospital now. And may he sense your healing presence. May he sense your presence through Christ. May you draw him to yourself and even touch his body and and, uh, give him strength and bring him back to wholeness once again comfort my mom too in this time. And Father, we pray as well that as we uh, turn the corner here at our church to wrapping up this idea of of just compelled by grace vision part to now talking about resourcing next week, that God, You would continue to speak to all of us, unify us, give us a a sense of collaboration, uh, of like-mindedness as the body of Christ. And Lord, most of all, may You be honored, may You be glorified, may You be magnified in all that we say and do because that's what your purpose is for the church. So God bless our time in Your Word now, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you'd have to have your head in the sand to not realize that the main message your leaders, meaning your elders, and the pastoral staff of this church are trying to get across to you is that as we think of the next 50 years of ministry, we think compelled by grace. That's the catchphrase we keep coming back to. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 where Paul the Apostle says, for the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels me because I'm convinced that one died, meaning Jesus, and he died for all. And the reality is, is that as we have thought about our church and what God might have for us as we move forward in advancing the kingdom of God, we keep coming back to this idea that we've been compelled by grace. That God has saved us. He loves us. He's reached out to us. As Ephesians 1.3 says, we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And as we think about all that we have in Jesus, we know that what God wants us to do more than anything else is now to share that, to reach out, to be compelled by this grace in reaching into others' lives. And so on a very strategic level, we've come up with a fourfold plan that we've been sharing with you this month. We want to redesign our campus in order to have more people, more kids, more teens, more adults in worship, more adults in teaching environments here on this campus. We're absolutely packed on our campus in many of our environments and venues, and we want to make room for more people. So we're going to redesign our campus, and that's part of our vision. We want to start some more multi-site churches. Cactus right now is with us live over at 25th Place in Cactus. It's been a wonderful multi-site extension of Scottsdale Bible. And we want to start more of those so that when they won't come to church, we'll bring church to them. That's the vision behind multi-site strategy. We want to plant more churches, specifically 10 churches, in the next 10 years. Find the best and brightest around the country. Bring them to Phoenix. Give them a seminary education at Phoenix Seminary. Let them intern at Scottsdale Bible Church during that time, and then send them out which is part of the Great Commission to plant churches here and around the world. And then as you're going to see today, we even want to expand our international ministries. As we have sought God on what He would have for us as a church, He has said very clearly to us, don't just think of here, don't just think even of your nation, but think your world. And so we're talking also about expanding our international ministries in being compelled by grace. And so as you look at these four things... I know some of you feel what I felt a year ago as we started sensing these things from the Lord. This is an ambitious plan. This is full of what Jim Collins would call big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs. But these are plans and goals that we believe are worthy of God's kingdom, and they leave plenty of room for what Franklin Graham has called god room room that we leave for only God to show up and do his work, goals that are so big that if God doesn't show up and do something, they won't be attained. Otherwise, it's just of the flesh and not of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the vision we have meets this criteria. And please know, before we go any further this morning, that all of this has not been fueled by some desire to simply be bigger and better, You know, to have bigger buildings and more programs and more churches. That's not what this is about. This is simply about building increasing space, increasing environments, whether it's multi-site church planting, international ministries, or on this campus where we can minister to more people, that more people can experience the grace that you and I have experienced in Christ one life at a time, one story at a time. Make no mistake, we're compelled by grace, God's grace, that has saved us and changed our lives, and we now want to further ignite His grace in the hearts and minds of those in our city, state, country, and world. So we have spent a lot of time this month talking to you about the campus redesign, multi-sites, church planting, and today as we wrap this thing up, I want to talk to you about international ministries, how we can further impact our world. And to do this, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. And that is that I want to get a bit reductionistic with you. I want to boil some things down to its most simple form because I find that a lot of well-meaning Christians today are very confused when it comes to missions or international ministries. And I know they're confused because I get people saying to me all the time, I mean Christians, who say, why are we involved over in the Middle East? why are we involved in Africa? I mean, doesn't Phoenix have enough needs as it is? Have we done a really good job of reaching Scottsdale? I mean, until we do that, shouldn't we not be involved in those other areas? I get asked that by Christians. And when people ask me that, I think to myself, I don't think you understand the biblical rationale and call that God, that Jesus has given us to missions. And so that's where I want to start this morning. I want to give you a a biblical primer on why missions, why international ministries? Why do we not just care about people here, but also people over there that are very, very far from us? And you'll notice on your outline that I've called this MFD, which stands for Missions for Dummies. That's what it's going to be about over the next few minutes. And I don't mean to offend you, but remember when those books came out that we all liked, like Chemistry for Dummies, Guitar for Dummies, Windows for Dummies, I read that one. I mean, that was a book that was helpful for many of us because it made it very easy to understand complicated things. And so what we're going to do is for the next few minutes talk about missions for dummies, but this will get us all on the same page as to why Jesus and the Bible talk so much about other nations. And here's the starting place. It's simply this. This is the first part of the rationale, and that is that we are blessed, meaning you and I, and other parts of the world are not. Why does God call you and I here in Scottsdale to be a part of other nations and and administering to them simply because we are blessed and other parts of the world are not? But what do I mean by that? Uh, to understand this, I want you to look at some of the very last words of Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 verses sixteen to 20. And as you're turning there right now, I'll also put it up here on the screen, let me tell you the context. Uh, this is the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last verses in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is now at the end of his earthly ministry. He's been resurrected from the dead. He has given us the gospel, the good news of salvation through faith and faith alone in him. And he's now ready to ascend into heaven, but he has one last message that he wants to give to his followers, and by extension, you and I. And it's contained here and also in Acts chapter 1. So look at what it says in Matthew, chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, here it is. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, So dial into this, folks. Uh, This great commission here, the first thing I need you to see about, about this is that it's given to all of us, even to you and me today here in Scottsdale. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says that He will be with us that this commission will be with us always to the end of the age. And as we know, the original disciples who this was given to died about 30 to 60 years after these words were given, and the end of the age has not come yet, so these words are still operative for any follower of Jesus Christ. And so what are these words about? Well, it's obvious. He says, "'Go and make disciples.'" Go and make disciples of your family and your friends here in Scottsdale. And if you feel guilty enough, throw in a few Indian reservations and maybe a Young Life program as well. No, he doesn't say that. Isn't it interesting? He says, go and make disciples, say it with me, of all nations. That word of all nations, that phrase all nations is probably the most important phrase in this entire Great Commission. Many people focus on that phrase, make disciples, but it's pretty obvious what that's about. That that phrase, all nations, was a a loaded phrase back then. And you got to believe that out of everything Jesus says here, the disciples were most thrown by that phrase, all nations. Because that phrase, all nations, doesn't mean geographical boundaries, like a nation that we would think of today, like, you know, something has a geographical or territorial boundary around it. No, that phrase, all nations, literally means all nations people groups. It's the Greek phrase panta ta ethne, ethne where we get our English word ethnic from. And so it literally means all the different people groups of the world that have their own distinct culture, their own distinct language, their own distinct way of functioning, whether there's a geographical or national boundary or not, those are the people that God wants us to reach. And we know that this is true because of Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. As it talks about heaven, using this same phrase, ethne, look at what it says. It says, and they sang a new song in heaven, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now here it is, from every tribe and language and people and, say it with me, nation. So who is it that God wants you and I to reach? Who is it that He wants to be with Him in heaven for eternity? The nations, people from all languages, tribes, and, 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 language, and, and, and people. I think John Piper, the popular theologian and longtime pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church up in Minnesota, says it well when he says this about this exact phrase, all the nations. Look up here on the screen. He says, therefore, in all likelihood, Jesus did not send the apostles out with a general mission, merely to win as many individuals as they could, but rather to reach all the peoples of the world, the nations. And once you and I get this, that's what really this is about, then the $10 question becomes, what's the logic and rationale behind Jesus's words here, right? I mean, why is Jesus so concerned that you and I uh, would not just leave the gospel in Scottsdale or Phoenix, which is tough enough to get it out there? Why is he so concerned that this extends to the whole world, the nations? And it's simple, and it brings us back to our original premise, and that is that you and I are blessed. Blessed. Think about it. Anybody that hears these words, anybody that reads the Great Commission that Jesus has given is probably an already convinced follower of Jesus Christ, right? Give me a head nod that we all understand that. Usually non-Christians aren't reading these words. A few do, but most of them are read by people who care about Jesus and are already convinced that He is the way, the truth, and the life. So pause right there. You are blessed if that is true of you. You are now saved, you are forgiven for all of your sin, you are given a new lease on spiritual life, you're going to spend eternity with God forever in glory and bliss. I I mean, you are so blessed. You have won the spiritual lottery, the mega lottery, if you're a follower of Jesus. And so the logic behind the Great Commission is that you are blessed even by just reading these words, but that there are other parts of the world that aren't. They haven't heard. They haven't known yet. They haven't come to Christ. And they don't even have the option to because there's nobody in their culture telling them about what you know. And like thirsty ones who have found clean spiritual water, they don't even know that there's clean spiritual water, let alone how to find it and drink it. And I might add, they even have physical problems in other parts of the world. Jesus made it clear in other parts of the Scripture that there are people less blessed than us physically, and we need to care about those needs as well. And so the simple logic behind the Great Commission is that we are blessed. We have the keys to the kingdom. We know and follow Jesus. Other parts of the world aren't, and that's the first and foundational reason that we are called to now go to the world. And as a brief side note, if you're at all tempted at this point, to push back on the premise that there are other parts of the world that are really in trouble, then you just don't understand modern or even back then Palestinian or world geography. You just don't understand what's going on in the rest of the world. You don't understand how blessed we are. Now, let me give you an example here. Look up here on the screen. Cactus and Ven, you look up on your screens there. This is a map, obviously, of the world. And you'll notice that on this map there on the left is the United States and South America. And then look at the place that we've highlighted there that's called the 1040 window. It's called the 1040 window because it lies 10 degrees north latitude between 40 degrees north latitude, and it goes from Africa all the way over to Far East Asia. And just in that little window of the entire world, get this, is two-thirds of the population of the world two-thirds of the population. And yet within that window of the world, eight out of ten of the poorest of the poor of the world live there, that live on less than just a couple hundred dollars a year. So you got the majority of the world's population, the poorest of the poor, living in that 1040 window. And then to add insult to injury, it is the least evangelized part of the world. Least evangelized. In fact, this is true from the Joshua Project. Our latest estimate is that within the 1040 window, there are approximately 6,126 distinct unreached people groups. Let that settle in a minute. You and I live in an awfully homogenous country. I mean, we have some distinct people groups here, but we don't have 6,126 distinct people groups with their own language, their own way of functioning, uh, all separate. The 1040 window has that. And so that's why, as you're going to see in a second here, many, many missions programs out of churches have been focusing in the last 30, 40 years on the 1040 window. And as you're going to see too, we've made some great strides. But why do we do that? Why do we care about a place like this? Because of the need. We are blessed and they aren't. And by the way, this is just by way of example. As we're going to see in just a second here, there are equally other parts of the world outside the U.S. that likewise have entire people groups that are not being exposed to the gospel. And and so again, the Great Commission is to go to the nations. And this brings me to my second point in our understanding of missions at a very simplistic level. And I'm going to whip through this one fast because we've already established this, and I want to get down to our third point, which is very personal for you and me here at Scottsdale Bible. But here's the second point, and that is that in light of all that we've just seen about the need being so great, you and I are called, no, really we're commanded then to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Man, this is what it's about, guys. But we are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, mark my words, you are called not just to do the best job you can in being a good family person, not do just the best job you can at your work, not just come to church and attend a few Bible studies, not just give your money, not just have devotions each day, though all those things are good. No, God actually puts a higher calling on your life and says, he now wants you to be a part of being a blessing to the entire world and we're commanded and called to do that. So look at Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. It could not be more clear. The psalmist says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all, say it with me, nations. There it is again. The psalmist, think about logic here. He says, God, would you bless us? And and, and as a quick side note, we know that God blessed them back then, because this was written during the United Monarchy, during the time of Saul, David, and Solomon. And we know that they were greatly blessed at that time in their lives. So God answered this prayer to bless them. But don't miss then that, that the reason they wanted to be blessed was so that God's ways would be known among the nations. There's a link between being a blessing and the inherent command to then be a blessing to others around you, not just here, but also over there, which now might help you understand why Jesus' command to go is so important, because He cares that we care about other nations. And on a very positive note, what you need to know is that this is exactly what Scottsdale Bible Church has been doing for the last 50 years. When I was looking at Scottsdale Bible Church six years ago this April, and I know they were looking close at me, one of the things that I looked for and that I was so pleased with is how this church has cared about missions and those not just here in Scottsdale so strongly for the last 50 years. And so 50 years into this, get this, we now support 50 missionaries all around the world, 50-plus missionaries in places like Mexico, South America, the Czech Republic, Spain, Egypt, Jordan, Papua New Guinea. We support missionaries all over the globe. In addition, as many of you know, we have pioneered a significant work in two villages in Africa unlike anything I've ever seen a church do. I'm just blown away by this. In these two villages in Africa, our church has single-handedly dug wells so that they can have water, created sustainable gardens, built schools, and sent medical teams there on a regular basis. And to keep this going and growing, we're not just building schools like in the sense of let's meet in the bush and have a classroom. We build buildings over there, two additional buildings every year in each village so that we can add a grade every year. And we're up to about sixth grade right now in these world-class schools that we have built within the 1040 window. To keep all this financially sustainable, we now support individually 850 children, linking them to about 850 families in this church for continued financial and prayer support. I've never seen anything like it. I'm not even done yet. In addition to this, we're involved in seminary education around the world. We partner with major organizations like Louise Plough and and Young Life. All told, when you consider our annual missions budget, which is a, few million, a couple million dollars, and then you add in the money that comes funneled through our church for individual missionary support, personal trips, things like that, every year our church gives over $3 million to foreign missions. $3 million. That's almost a third of our entire budget. And we're not done yet, as you're going to see in a few minutes here. One of the things I'm so proud of of Scottsdale Bible Church is no matter how you slice it, our church gives strongly to world missions, which by by the way, which by the way is the answer to the question when people ask you, you know, why are we spending so much money in this next capital campaign on our current campus and not giving more of it away overseas? I've been asked that a number of times. The answer is simple, by the way. A strong Scottsdale Bible Church a strong Scottsdale Bible campus here and on Cactus and other places ensures for generations to come the millions of dollars that we send every year to foreign missions. That's the logic behind that. If we let the home base suffer, they're in trouble over there. And so think about it. We might be spending 18 to $19 million on our campus over the next few years, but if we continue to do what we're doing, just within the next decade we're going to send $30 million to the mission field. And so a strong Scottsdale Bible ensures strong missions, and that's the logic behind that. And yet as we have prayed about what God wants us to do internationally, we have heard Him say, you are we're near done yet, church. He's got a lot more for us to do. And so here's our third and final point this morning, and a very personal one to you and me, and that is in addition to all that we're already doing, we have sent God leading us to pioneer work in Western Europe And then to continue to develop some new work in an area that we're already in, the Middle East. And so if you look up here on the map... Basically, what we're doing, you can see it by the red circles, is continuing to invest in one area in the 1040 window. That would be Israel and the Middle East. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming months, what we're going to be doing there, because that's part of Compelled by Grace. But then also, we're going to go just above the 1040 window there and pioneer new work in Western Europe. And in our time remaining this morning, I want to ask the obvious question that many have been asking me. And that is why Western Europe? I mean, let's just say it like it is, because I've had people ask me very candidly. They've said, why are we involving ourselves in a place that has modern cars, nice cities, big cathedrals, iPads? Why are we involving ourselves in a place that is not in the 1040 window, a place that was the seat of the Reformation? for much of Christianity has flowed for the last 500 years, why are we involving ourselves in Western Europe? That doesn't seem to make sense, but it does. Because what you need to understand about Western Europe is though all that is true, what we just said, that they are in a world of hurt, a world of trouble on a spiritual level, and we need to come to their aid. We need to. Uh, To help answer this question for you, I want you to look up here on the screen right now. I'm going to show you a short video that we put together this week. It's a video of one elder and two young pastors, young, sharp pastors, from a church in Wales, which is in the UK, a church that we've already begun a significant partnership with. And they were here this week visiting our church here in Scottsdale, and they spent a lot of time with our elders and staff, and at one point we sat them down in our foyer And we said, just speak to our entire congregation and to our venue in Cactus. Speak to them about what's happening in Wales and also in Western Europe so that we can understand why it is we'd even want to do a partnership with you, why the need is so great. So let's hear it from their own words, and then I'm going to share some thoughts myself, and we'll go to the communion table. But look up here on the screen. This will be helpful for you.
1: For us in the UK, mission is becoming more and more on our own doorstep. Wales is a great
2: place to live. It's it's a beautiful nation. It's a proud nation. We we love our sports. We love uh, our music. Um, It's uh, a land that has a great history to it. Um, But it's also a land
1: of secularism, Postmodernism. In a recent census in the UK, they measured a number of things, and one of the things they measured was religion. And the number of people that said they were Christian over 10 years has reduced by 12%. But that's on the back of the reductions in the last 30 or 40 years. So actually, Christianity is reducing quite rapidly. So our mission field for us is becoming Wales. Christianity. Um...
3: Is is dying in Wales, uh, and so if you go around the valleys where I'm from, uh, a lot of those churches and chapels are now being turned into pubs, mosques, carpet stores, uh, things like that, really. And with those which are which are still going, uh, you've got pretty much 20 people attending. Uh, and so, you know, I mean for us in Highfields, we've sort of bucked the trend, really, um, from growing over the last 25 years, from 100 people uh, to potentially between 700 to 1,000
1: people. And we're probably now the biggest church in Wales. And, and, and we feel the pressure of that. And uh, our view is if we don't take Christianity to them, then who will? So we feel a, a pressure for that. But nevertheless, we, we want to be up for that challenge. And so I think as a church we we fight above our weight and we do it for the sake of the gospel.
2: It's been really encouraging as we visited Scottsdale Bible and heard about Compelled by Grace that one of the main elements of that is uh, impacting the world and particularly uh, Europe and the Middle East. Europe used to be the heartland which, uh, from which many missionaries were sent out to the world, uh, from which the gospel shone forth. But now it is the dark continent. The majority of people that I know are atheists um, and would consider trusting in Jesus to be something that is foolish and uh, completely against reason.
3: People are searching uh, for things, but searching in the wrong place. And so they're sort of looking at um, a new career, a better career, more money, um, you know, different girls, you know, success, fame, all these things trying to fill that gap, that God gap in their lives.
2: A few days ago, before we flew out to Scottsdale, uh, the uh, estate was covered in snow and ice and we were walking around uh, praying for our community. It was just a great picture as the ice lay on the ground of the hearts of the people that we were praying for. They're hard, they're cold to the truth of the gospel. And we need the fire of the Spirit to awaken people to the truth of Christ. Um, So please pray for us as we do that. Uh, Please pray for us in our ministry because ultimately people in Wales, people in America, people all around the world need Jesus. Um, And so, that's our, that's our goal. That's our, our, our great ministry and mission as the church that we share with Scottsdale Bible and churches all around the world is
0: to share Christ with these people. Gosh, I really needed to develop an accent, don't I? It just makes these guys so easy to listen to. I, I love how Chris, the elder, said it I don't know if you caught it especially some of you men he said we fight above our weight but we do so for the sake of the gospel and then pete that young pastor when he said we need the fire of the spirit to awaken people to the truth of christ you see one of the things that we need to understand about western europe and wales is just indicative of really all the nations in western europe is that they have just i mean within just a few generations they've lost the spiritual edge of Christianity, I mean, within the entire continent. In just a few generations, really, since Churchill and World War II, secularism and naturalism has so gripped the culture of Western Europe that Christianity, and this is not overstating it, has been all but pushed out to the point that we have an entirely new generation of people in Western Europe that are essentially un- or essentially unchurched and cold to biblical truths. In fact, just real quick, look up here on the screen. This might help you understand it. Some of you might be more linear thinkers. This is a graph of what's happened in in many areas around the world, including the 1040 window during the 20th century. As missions and churches increased its focus on the 1040 window, we saw Christianity within Asia, Africa, and Latin America, those what those three lines represent, just rise and increase exponentially as we got the gospel into those areas. And it was amazing to see all the fruit develop. And though we're not done at all within those areas, it's been very encouraging to see what has happened. But here, look at this graph. This is exactly what happened in Europe at exactly the same time, particularly Western Europe, that as other parts of the world were going up because we as Christians were focused upon those nations, Europe plummeted significantly. And people ask, well, why and how did that happen? Well, it's a complicated issue that's really for another sermon, but but just look at this graph or this chart, and this might help you understand it. From the time of Wesley and a lot of the revivalists in 1738 Christianity in Europe grew. But right around the time of 1850, 150 years ago, Europe started to lose hold on culture when it came to Christianity. And I mean lose hold significantly. It plummeted. And what most experts point out is that there was a triple threat that came to culture in Europe, and that triple threat was enlightenment philosophy with its emphasis on rationalism over and against everything else. And then you have the influence of skeptical criticism of the Bible, liberal Christianity that doubted the resurrection and the inerrancy of God's Word and things like that. And then thirdly, Darwinian naturalism that that argued that life is purely naturalistic, there is no spiritual component to them. And those three things were just an onslaught on culture within academia and other parts of culture within Europe for the last 150 years, and they've suffered greatly. And if you're a thinking person about this at all, you'll think, well, gosh, the United States had that same onslaught. Why didn't we suffer as much? Now, listen, it's because we took a different tactic to this a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, when the church started to lose its grip on culture, think about what America did. We pulled out of Harvard, we pulled out of Yale, we pulled out of Princeton, and we started Wheaton. And we started Biola, and we started Azusa Pacific, and we started Taylor. We started our own seminaries, like the one I went to in Dallas Theological Seminary. We started our own organizations, like Varsity and Campus Crusade. We started even our own denominations, like the Presbyterian Church of America or the Evangelical Free Church. I mean, we started our own thing, and in so doing we've been able to stem the tide. But as you guys know, even now we wonder if we're winning the war on any given day. See Europe didn't do any of that. They tried to stay in with all that and fight from within, and quite frankly, it's just overwhelmed them. To the point now that, that it 's in single digit percentage, almost every major European country, the amount of people who go to church, let alone have any interest in spiritual things, and yet Europe still has more influence on the rest of the world than just about any area of the world, including America. Now, let me show you what I mean. Look up here on the, at this graph. this will blow you away in the u s in two thousand and two. We had about a half a million students, foreign students from around the world, come to the US to study, like people that come to ASU, U of A, Ohio State University, things like that. In Europe, they had 1.2 million students come from all over the world to study in Europe, more than twice as many that would come here to the United States, which means that Europe is actually educating twice as many people as the states are when it comes to the rest of the world. So Europe is not just to be saved for Europe's sake, but also for the fact that they have great influence on all other parts of the world. And many of us know this. And so for lots of different reasons, I believe that Europe, Western Europe, is the next great mission field for the church. And we must come to their aid. When I was doing my research on this a couple years ago, I was in Scotland interviewing a church there in Edinburgh. And I'll never forget when the pastor said to me, this was so sad, he said, Jamie, on our best day, we try to manage the decline well. He said, that's how we exist. We get up in the morning, and we say, how can I deal with the decline as best I can? Can you imagine living in an environment like that? That's what they are dealing with, and they're discouraged, and they need our help. So very quickly, we're doing three things as a part of Compelled by Grace that we've already started, but we're incorporating these into Compelled by Grace. One, we want to encourage leadership uh, within Europe. We've united uh, ourselves with a group called the European Leadership Forum that every May gets together, and they get six to 700 of the top Christian leaders in Europe, Western and Eastern. It's invite only, and they bring these leaders together in a world-class European city. This year it's in Krakow, and for a whole week they pour into these leaders with some of the best of the best teachers from around the world. And we've been invited to be a part of this. Last year, we took Dr. Wayne Grudem, uh, went there to teach, Dr. Tim Kimmel, Dr. Barry Asmus, all went to teach and be a part of the European Leadership Forum. And isn't this cool? We took 30 volunteers last year to help put this thing on, to drive people to and from airports, to help tape lectures, to be a part of the bookstore, to just serve in any way that we could. It takes about 100 volunteers to make this week happen, and we're going again this year. And we have 20 volunteers signed up. We need some more, but time's running out because we need to know by the end of February. So maybe God is leading you to do a mission trip with us to the European Leadership Forum. That's one of our gifts to Europe. Second thing we're doing is we're getting involved in academia. We're supporting a theologian right now at the famous Tyndale House in Cambridge, a theologian who needs to raise support in order to stay in the ring at Cambridge and continue to fight for the gospel. And we're supporting him as he's doing continued PhD research at Tyndale and teaching at Cambridge University. And then thirdly, we're involved, and I think most especially, in church partnerships. We want to be on the ground with local churches in Europe. And so for our very first one, we've chosen an English-speaking church in Wales that you just heard about, Highfields Church. And our vision is to bring them over here and to send teams over there uh, to minister and do mission trips to them and with them and to encourage them in there. You're going to be hearing more about opportunities like that in the future, a true church partnership. And our goal is to use upwards of a half a million dollars from our Compelled by Grace campaign to pour directly into Western Europe and the Middle East. And so what can you do, you ask? Three things as we go to the communion table. The first, obviously, is to pray. You heard the pastor share that with you. Pray for them as you think about them. I think only heaven is going to reveal the power of God's people when they pray. I think heaven someday is going to reveal that there are times when the church was weak or I was weak or you were weak and people prayed for us and that made all the difference. So continue to pray for them as you think about them. Secondly, pray about participating. Uh, maybe God's calling you to go on a mission trip, either to Krakow with the European Leadership Forum or when we set them up to Wales. Maybe you can participate by being a part of Fred's missions team here right now that works in the Middle East and other places around the world. Pray about what God would have you do to participate in this. And then thirdly, as you consider how you're going to be a part of Compelled by Grace over the next month, be generous as you think particularly about what we're trying to do internationally. I got I, to I tell you, folks, one of the things I'm so excited about in the future is not just what God is going to do here, but what God is going to continue to do over there. Because He's already used us. And our vision is simply to place ourselves in God's path to be used even more. And this, these are ways that we're doing this. We're going to go to the communion table right now, and then Venue and Cactus are going to go to their communion table. And so as we prepare our hearts for that right now, would you do me a favor and let's bow and commit our time to the Lord. Father, I thank you for the grace and the goodness that you have shown us. That is so obvious. We are blessed beyond measure. Lord, even for those of us who have been hit hard in this current economy, we know that we still have so many reasons to be thankful, so many things that you have given us. And Lord, as Christians, it's inarguable that we've been blessed. And Lord, if nothing else, what we've seen today is that there are other parts of the world that do not share that blessing. They haven't heard, they do not know and they need to be told, and they need to be helped and loved as they are told. And so Father, I pray that as our church continues to forge some new areas, and then also Lord, to continue to pour into current areas, that God, you would indeed bless our efforts. May they be empowered by your Spirit and nothing else. So Lord, as we go to the communion table now, I pray God that you might meet us through these elements, that you might make this a special moment of grace between us and you as we celebrate the heart and core of our Christian faith, and that is that Jesus came to us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. So receive us in this time, we pray in Christ's name, amen.